this is Amy Embody welcoming you back to Life in the Brie, where we explore the biblical, relational, integral, and experiential approach to life and learning that is redemptive education. Glad you're back with us. Last time we were talking about the merits of self directed play. And we want to talk today further on that topic. We want to talk today about how self-directed play, child-initiated activities, and especially those that take place outdoors in natural settings, contribute to the strengthening and development of your child's executive functioning skills. Now, what do we mean by that? Your brain and mine learn over many years and through many experiences how to prioritize, how to sort and classify. We develop what we call judgment, the ability to know what the proper step is to follow the previous step. And we learn how to anticipate what will happen, the result of a certain action we do, or the result of waiting. And these contribute to the formation of what we call executive functioning skills. These are very important skills for, certainly for academic success, but they're also highly correlated with success uh, relationally and success in career. So we want to talk about how interacting with trees, mud, creeks, and critters helps your child's executive functioning skills develop. I want to take two examples. One would be the development that happens as your child decides to climb up on a fallen log and walk along it. So what has to be Uh, perceived? What has to be understood by your child before he or she successfully navigates getting up on the log, walking across it, and maybe hopping off on the other end? Well, all sorts of sensory functions are in play. Vision, scoping out. How high is this log? Will I need to step up on it or will I need to climb up on it? And if I'm going to climb up on it, what? where are my footholds? Where are my handholds? Where can I get a grip to hoist myself up off of the ground and onto this log? A child has to assess how wide is this log? How easily will I be able to put one foot in front of the other for its whole length? Does it taper off dramatically as I get towards the end? Does it become very thin and more challenging to walk and keep my balance? Is it a fairly smooth surface or are there knots and bumps and branches sticking up from this log that might impede my progress? What happens if I decide to step over this knob? Will I be able to maintain my balance? How far am I off the ground? If I take a misstep, how far do I have to fall? And what am I going to fall onto? You can see that the sensations of touch, of vision, 
are working together. Proprio-centric skills are being developed as your child's foot communicates to its leg, to its brain about how far to step. What risks to take? Do I think I can make it over that branch or should I hop down and get on after the branch is passed? These are small, seemingly insignificant kinds of experiences that in congregate build your child's ability to anticipate, to strategize, to weigh risk, to experiment with it in a pretty low stakes way. Let's take another example. This is an example from my own experiences with my young grandchildren when we started um, developing the idea of Boots and Roots, our program that is for young learners in the outdoors. Levi and Leah popped their boots on. They were all ready to go into the woods and down to the creek. They had already learned the principle observe before entering. And so before we went into the woods, we stopped and we looked to see what was ahead of us, what we wanted to notice, anything that we needed to um, strategize for. And then when they gave the all clear, into the woods we went. But the first time we got to the creek, they were so excited they forgot to observe before entering and into the creek they went. Step number one was fine. Step number two, the water was over their boots and into their socks. They didn't like it, but they learned something. Their skill set grew and it reinforced what I had taught them about observing before entering. And it led to a whole exploration of how will we know if the creek is too deep for your boots, how can we assess this situation before we stick our booted feet into that water and learn the hard way that actually this part of the creek was too deep for my boots? And they had to strategize for ways to assess that. So they did some experiments with sticks, poking a stick in and then holding the stick next to their boots to see if the wetness on the stick was taller than their boots. They devised a number of strategies and thereafter, I didn't have to remind them to observe before entering. They knew if they didn't want to be walking around in a puddle inside their boots, they needed to stop and assess the situation, and use some tools, and use some strategies. So in other words, that natural impulsivity that we see in children gets tempered by their authentic experiences with the natural world. They themselves didn't want to have wet socks. They didn't want to have to go home because they didn't like tromping around in puddles in their boots. One final example. When we decided we wanted to catch some pollywogs, some tadpoles, and put them in our puddle habitat and see how they developed, we had to figure out how to catch them. We had to use our sense of sight. We had to use eye-hand coordination. And we had a lot of trial and error about how to anticipate where those tadpoles would go if we stuck our hands or our cup 
or our capturing tool into the puddle or into the creek to catch them. It took much trial and error. And in all that time, those children were developing perseverance because they were highly motivated. I didn't have to motivate them. They wanted those tadpoles and they were curious and they did trial and error and trial and error to discover how they could best corral the tadpoles into a certain spot where they could then easily scoop them out with their capturing cup. They had to work collaboratively. They had to try out the different tools and see which series of steps created the most favorable outcomes. So all of these examples are just a few of the infinite number of examples of practicing your children will do as they go about their self-directed play in the woods, at the creek, at the beach. They will find out if we let them how confidently they can climb a tree and how high. But they don't know that at their first exploration. They need many, many encounters. Do you know that when we go into the natural world, something happens to our senses. Something happens in our brains. Our senses are heightened. We become more attentive at the very same time that we are becoming calmer more focused. Children who are overwhelmed in school settings, in indoor settings, in um, teacher-directed settings, often are able to reset and self-regulate if they are allowed to have some self-directed time in a meadow or in a creek, in a woods, out in the playground. So something to consider is when you allow your children at home or at school to engage in extended self-directed play, you are actually doing one of the most effective ways of increasing their ability to develop their executive functioning that will translate into the ability to pay attention longer, the ability to plan steps and execute them, the ability to assess that uh, strategy, that tool, and adjust for the future for more effectiveness. They will learn how to regulate their own actions to achieve the outcomes that are most uh, motivating to them. They will understand more experientially how to plan with peers, with others, and to execute something that results in an outcome they are pleased with, that they find satisfying. These are very important for their academic and their personal development. So something to think about, self-directed play, especially in a natural setting. <music> 